my name is Eric, and I welcome you to our Black Gay Diaspora podcast, where we, as LGBTQ plus citizens, come together to inspire and educate each other on who we are and our respective countries and professions. Through topics and guest interviews, our Black Gay Diaspora podcast celebrates individuals making a difference. Loving who we love is not a choice. Being who we're meant to be can be. We are here. You are welcome. We are community. Greetings and welcome to another episode of our Black Gay Diaspora podcast. I am your host, Eric, coming to you from my hometown of Phoenix, Arizona. Today's guest is Chris Caldwell, an American wine ambassador and global digital nomad, and also the co-founder of Obsidian Wine Retreats based in Cape Town, South Africa. I was very fortunate to meet Chris during my recent visit to Cape Town, where I was there for three months, and we have been able to meet up again here in Arizona. I very much look forward to sharing Chris's journey as a Black gay entrepreneur. And without further ado, hey, Chris, and welcome. How are you? I'm doing pretty good, Eric. I'm so glad to meet up with you again. And I am excited about the fact that we're able to both be digital nomads and to spend some time all over the world together. New experience for me, and I think a first-time experience for a lot of us who are in the same type of position. So it's pretty fun. Many of us do work in front of our laptops, our computers, that we can pretty much be anywhere. You know, I owe you an apology. I forgot to mention that I would be joined by Miss Janet Jackson behind me. <laughs> oh, yeah. I know. <laughs> Yeah, I'm staying with my uh, best friend from high school, and I'm in the um, the guest bedroom. So as you can see, someone is a fan of Miss Janet Jackson. Yeah, I am too. I can get nasty. You know? <laughs> <laughs> to kind of settle ourselves in this conversation today, how are you? I'm doing really well. I was talking to my partner, Jim, today. He's in India. He asked me the same question. I'm really really in a good place and I'm really happy about that. And where is Jim at in India? He's in Goa, India at the moment and he's been traveling through India, Mumbai, Goa. He'll be there for I think a couple more weeks. He's traveled 63 countries. I've been to 44. I think he's been to India now three or four times. Now is this all connected to the two of you being digital nomads? Definitely. So with us mentioning being digital nomads, yourself being a digital nomad and also being an entrepreneur, what does that exactly mean for you? We were managing a retreat center in Central California for nine years, Seven Circles Retreat. We were pretty much stationary during most of the time, but after the center really got off the ground and started moving after the, the first year and a half, we started traveling at least four times a year. And we have been to South Africa during that time. We went to Italy. We went to Portugal. We went to West Africa, the islands of Capo Verde. We've been twice. During the nine years, we were able to build our business as such that we would be able to leave those at least four times a year. Now it's more of a full-time digital nomad. So as opposed to our business only allowing us to leave four times a year, we've made it our business to travel all times of the year. You know, since you said four times a year, 
from an American standpoint, I'm like, wow, that's a lot. Because, <laughs> you know, we're fortunate in this country if we get two weeks after a few years. So the fact that you guys were able to do that four times a year, that's impressive. The intention of intentionality, having your own business and building that into the business dynamics. We are going to run our own business, but that has to entail being able to leave three to four weeks, four times a year. And when we set that intention, the business began to evolve around that ideal. Now, with being nomadic, do you have an official or unofficial home base? You know, it's kind of wherever we lay our hat is where our home is. And as we develop friendships around the world, our homes expand because we get invitations to go visit people. We decide we want to go to an area. We know friends in that country, and then we hang out for a week or two, something like that. So officially, the world is our home, our oyster. I have met people because of this podcast in the UK and Sweden, but connecting with you was the first time that I connected with someone because of social media and also as a digital nomad, because I believe I became aware that we were following each other earlier this year when I was at the time in the UK and Brighton. Thankfully, you guys are posting consistently. And so when I landed in Cape Town in early June and I saw that you were also in South Africa, it was my opportunity to say, oh, let me reach out to these guys and see if we can meet up. Yeah, that was one and the same because I saw you posting in Cape Town, South Africa, I think you were somewhat doing, uh, I don't know, like a YouTube channel or something like that. I don't quite remember how I saw it. And that's also kind of the, the magic of social media. There's so many outlets in which people are posting. You rented a car and you were taking a trip to the Cape of Good Hope. You rented a car, you went out and you you just made yourself be able to see the sites without being dependent on a tour guide or something like that for the most part. Yeah, actually, I can't take credit for that tour. I didn't rent the car. I wasn't driving. It was the Airbnb, the guy that I was renting from, Jean-Luc. He and his wife moved to Cape Town from France years before, and he suggested giving me that tour that day. So it was all his idea. <laughs> wow. That's fantastic. Yeah, I'd never had that happen before. So I was really, really grateful to him. And it really expanded my view of the country and really helped me to see that I was in a different country. Because when I first arrived there, I got people asking me, like, do you feel like you're in South Africa or on the continent of Africa? And I said, not really, because Cape Town doesn't look necessarily foreign to my eyes. But when we got outside of the city and saw the other communities, that's when I was like, okay, I'm in a different country now. Yeah. Yeah. Cape Town, I can't say it's like other coastal cities. It's really not. Uh, but it's, it's, it's like other, for in my experience, coastal American cities, like maybe San Diego, Long Beach, where the diversity is there, but it's somewhat overshadowed by the beauty of the coast. When we were in Casablanca, the, the coastline there, you know that you're in 
an African country where the ethnic diversity is is way known. But in Cape Town, it's, it's kind of different. And plus, too, there's the unexpectation of not as many people of color in that particular region of Cape Town. It almost looks like a European city and European feel at the same time. You have tourists from all over the world, a lot of European countries coming in, too, that makes up the makeup of that area. Why Cape Town for you? That all centers around our business with um, Obsidian, and which is centered around wine. Jim and I, we really enjoy the whole culture of wine, being able to have wine with a meal, have wine with friends and family. Wine is something that hasn't always been approachable to people as well. There's a curiosity when you mention wine and people want to try it for the first time. So helping people understand and develop their palate for wine when it comes to either sipping it alone or having it with a meal or with their friends. Living in California, the winelands are Napa Valley, Sonoma, Paso Robles, and there's great wines in those regions. But when we travel around the world, particularly Cape Town, South Africa, the wine region there is very old. It's been around for a long time, and it's just now beginning to really flourish after apartheid ended. The wine industry itself is beginning to shine and to show. And we love the wines in South Africa. We love the, the terroir, the land that the grapes are grown in and how it develops into the, the taste of the wine. And so we thought, you know what? We got two things. One, we're going to be in Africa. Two, we're going to be in a wine region in Africa. The largest wine region in Africa is in the winelands of Cape Town. Stellenbosch, French Hook, Paro region, all of these different areas. So the potentiality of introducing people to wine there is limitless. So that's why we chose Cape Town do our, our next act, as you were, uh, after running the retreat center, is to go to Cape Town, South Africa, and introduce wine to the African diaspora. Yeah, I didn't know that it existed before apartheid. Oh, yeah, definitely. But because of apartheid and all of the countries that boycotted South Africa, their wine was basically insular, and the money wasn't always there. But after apartheid was over it gave it a chance to flourish because now the wines could go outside and be exported. So for the uninformed, what is a wine retreat? Our wine retreats are designed for men of color that are gay. And we take seven to 10 nights and we introduce to wine lovers and those who are interested in learning more about wine we introduce them to two things. We introduce them to the continent of Africa for the African diaspora who've never been to Africa. We travel to Europe. We travel to South America. We travel to Mexico. And if we do go to Africa, the ideal is more or less to kind of discover your roots or to learn about where you came from. But what we like to do is to say, we want you to experience Africa 
for the first time and or we want you to experience Africa in a different light where you're going for entertainment, where you're going to meet other Africans, you're going to meet other African gay men, you're going to um, be a part of the African um, gay scene that's there. You're going to be able to drink great wine. You're going to meet the winemakers. We particularly focus on winemakers of color. So you're going to taste the winemakers' wines that are from different parts of South Africa. You're going to taste wines from winemakers from Zulu background, from Hulsa background, winemakers from Zimbabwe. You're going to be introduced to black wine professionals, sommeliers, chefs that are pairing traditional African food with the black professionals who are making the wine and then sharing that with each other. So the gay guys getting together, being able to express their joys with one another, their love of travel, being able to do it with a community that you're familiar with. We are able to open up and express yourself and feel free. That is a wine retreat. Thank you for that. That's impressive. Like I said, we've experienced, uh, Jim and I, he's from Poland and Lithuania. I've done my ancestry that brings me back to Guinea-Bissau. So being able to come together as an interracial couple as well, he is able to learn a little bit, not a little bit, a lot more about me coming from an African culture. Both of us experience each other in what I would consider an opportunity to learn more about my homeland as well. So it's really enhanced our relationship. We typically have the same lodging in a, like a, a large penthouse type of setting. That's a private residence where we go in and it's kind of like a fireside chat. We call it the download where we can get together and just kind of <laughs> just download and offload all the things that we've been thinking about in the setting of being in Africa. We get to meet other um, African gays that are there as well. So we get to hear their challenges and, and their joys. Yeah, I like the way you put that because when I first arrived, I had people that were asking about experiences that weren't really connected to the people. It was about safaris and which is not in the city of Cape Town, but things that, you know, for me, I wanted to get to know the culture, get to know the people. And I'll say this to you that what really, really helped me keep part of my heart in Cape Town was that I spent my last afternoon with you and Jim. And in some ways it centered me. I don't know if you experienced this, but you know, when I leave a place, there is an emotional thing that goes on. And so being able to spend time with you two and we have similarities, the three of us with travel and also with just learning about different cultures. It just really added to the experience. So I thank you both for that. Well, you're definitely welcome. How do you say, as soon as we knew that you were taking off, I said, Jim, Eric's about to leave. Let's see if we can like spend some time with him before he goes. Just being able to walk the promenade with one another, see other gay people there too. So, I mean, that promenade in Cape Town, the Seapoint area is just, you can just walk up and down, up and down, and you're going to see gay couples all over the place, lesbians and 
people out on the lawn, just hanging out with each other, but walking their dogs together. So I felt that we were just adding to that dynamic and adding to that magic together. Yeah, I really appreciate that you were available and, you know, you accept the invitation. You were kind of talking about culture, your own culture, and, and discovering your own background, which I did define in an interview that you did, I think, with the Black Business Bureau in Fresno, California. And you touched on that about history and wanting to know your own history, specifically us as Black Americans, because many of us are histories being connected to the transatlantic slave trade we don't know. Can you expand a little bit more on that, your interests in that, and how that enhances your life? Sure. I am the uh, genealogist of our family, and so I've traced um, our family's roots on my father and my mother's side back to 1700s. And a lot of people think that that might be difficult to do. If you're from America, there are plenty of records that will um, help us get there. If you can find a, um, a, an auntie or a great aunt or someone knows something, all you have to do is just begin to ask and talk. And then with the little bit of oral tips that you get, then you can go online. Ancestry.com is where I did most of my research. And they have census records. They have um, property records. There are probate records, all these different records that you will begin to connect your family together. With that, I was able to go back to the original slave records in 1860. There's not a name given, but there's an age, there's a place, male or female. It'll tell you if you're colored or if they're black. You can get an idea of if that person is a part of your family. I'm telling you how to get back past 1860. In the slave records, you'll have the slave owner who you can connect that name with. And then you look up their probate. You look up their wills and things like that. And that's when you start finding the actual names of the slaves who were not named in the 1860 census, in the 1865 census, in the 1790 census. Those slaves' names might be on a will that wills that property to a brother or a sister or to a son or a daughter. And so that's how you can get names. There's also even slave ship records. So you can go online and you can look up and there's slave ship records. It'll give the name of the slave ship. It'll give the name of the slave captain. It'll give the ship's name. It'll give where the ship left, the port that it left, the part of the continent it went to in Africa and on its way back to where it dropped off the slaves as well. So there's plenty of information out there. It's just connecting the dots. I do remember when I was in grade school and you had that report that was asked to the teacher, talk about your family, where are you from? Most black people, all we can say is that we're from Africa. And what we're trying to do is that we're trying to say we're from the same way our contemporaries say they're from, when they say they're from Ireland or they're from Scotland or they're from Poland. 
But what I like to say, just to encourage everyone, is that you can say and you should say and validate that you are from wherever you were born. So I was born in Seattle and my mother was born in Texas and my father was born in Louisiana because that is our genealogy. That is our life. I'm from America six generations back. Where do I originate from? I originate from Africa. What part of Africa do I originate from? Most likely West Africa. And then there's a series of countries in West Africa that you can say, you know what? There's Mali, there's um, Ghana, there's Benin, there's Togo, there's Nigeria. So you can say, you know, somewhere along the line, this is where I'm at. And then now there's DNA where you can generally pinpoint where you're from and or the tribe as well. So African ancestry seeks to do that. It seeks to tell you what tribe you're from. I took that test and it says I'm Fulani from the Fulani tribe, which is Fula. And the ancestry.com has put me into like five different areas of West Africa, Nigeria, Cameroon, Mali, um, Benin, Togo, like this. That is my excitement about genealogy. From an emotional standpoint, how was it for you when you began to discover your lineage, when you were able to pinpoint regions and, and possibly countries in Africa and other parts of, of the world? I have a, a better idea, a better understanding of my relationship to Africa. As I delved into genealogy more for a longer period of time, and as I began helping other people with their genealogy, I realized that we're all so interconnected. It took a little bit of the personal magic out of it, and it made it more global. Truly, when I am next to a person that is close to my experience, that we're truly cousins in their particular part of the world, South Africa being apartheid, Mozambique being run by Portugal, Capo Verde being also run by um, Portugal as well. So the same type of oppression that Africans here in America have had are the same type of oppressions that people in the Dominican Republic have, people in Haiti have had, people in Liberia. It reminds me when you ask me, where do I call officially my home or where do I feel comfortable at? It's really with individuals, it's with people for which I can open up and they can open up and we can share and we find all of those common grounds and then we can support and encourage one another. We have talked about your experiences as a Black American, as a global Black citizen. How do you identify under the LGBTQ plus umbrella? I identify as a sexual being. The question that, that bounces off of my emotions are, whom do I want to spend the most time with or what person moves me? You know, just thinking out loud, I mean, a lot of people move me a lot. I'm emotionally close to a lot of people. 
you just can't have sex with everybody all the time, you know, because sometimes you feel like, well, the ultimate closeness with someone is to want to share that intimacy. For me, I've had that gaze in my eyes towards people who express themselves in all kinds of different ways. They might identify themselves as masculine or feminine. For me personally, I just kind of see the character. I have been married to an Asian woman uh, for 13 years. Then now I've been with um, Jim. He's Polish and Lithuanian. I've been with him for 17 years. I swing left, I swing right, I swing all in between, I guess. <laughs> with the two of you, because it seems like you've worked together for a long time, working, I'm, I'm guessing, for someone else and now starting your own business. Well, what we did is when we first met, we, we met in Hawaii and I was involved in network administration. He was an ESL teacher. When we started living together, he would go off to work and then I would go off to work and we would see each other at four or five o'clock for a few hours at night and then maybe do something if we could, you know, and then we go off to work again. So at some point, I think he stopped working as an ESL. It was during the financial crisis. I got laid off from my job. And so we decided, you know what, why don't we try to find something that we can do where we don't have to leave each other? Let's try and build a business where we work together so that we can see each other every day and work together. And so that's when we opened up our tour company in Hawaii. So it was called Hawaii Gay Tours. And so we've been working together for the last I would say um, 13 or 14 years. It calls to mind. I remember some time ago when my dad was alive and he shared with me that, yes, there's the attraction, but you also have to like the person. And in hearing the two of you and, and what you decided to do consciously as a couple, I would, yeah, it sounds like you guys actually like each other's company. <laughs> yes. Yes, we do. We do. And I, I also have a take on, just our relationship because I know he loves me and I know he cares for me and I know he wouldn't want to do anything that would hurt me. If I did get hurt, it was only because he didn't understand what my needs were or I anticipated or expected something that he didn't understand. So I would always say that he could do no wrong. He wasn't intentional. He didn't want to hurt me. It's just that my expectations exceeded what he was able to give. So I would remind myself he could do no wrong. And I'm not talking about something really big um, that we've discussed and talked about and then a person reneges on it. I'm just talking about the little tiny things that when it happens, it happens at the wrong time. And then all of a sudden we want to start a war with the person that you're supposed to be in love with and care for like this. We definitely expressed our differences with one another what we've learned from each other. And that's part of being in a relationship. And the beauty of being a relationship is that you have a place where you can talk things out with someone and find out areas that you can grow in. 
So I know your focus at the moment, our focus is with queer men of color. Will you be expanding that to include more people within the LGBT community? We're taking a step by step. So in the area of business and entrepreneurship, what's worked best for me is to do what you know, to do what you're comfortable with, to work with in the environment that you're comfortable with. I know I'm very comfortable with working with um, queer men of color, interracial relationships. As we expand, when other players come to be a part of Obsidian, when we are, we're able to expand to a more lesbian group, when we have some lesbian partners, when it comes to really meeting the needs of a particular group, I think we need to partner with people who can definitely um, bring that experience to them more authentically. Uh, but at the same time, we want to reach out to our um, queer men of color to give them a place where they can come and feel comfortable. Yeah, I um, appreciate that for myself as, as a black gay man, because as a man of color, I could feel like I'm in the shadows. And, and so I'm, that's always my concern. So to hear that you're focused on this group, because we do need to have spaces where we can feel comfortable and feel welcome. Uh, yeah, I definitely think that's important. And celebrate it too. So just celebrate it, joy. I mean, just to have a really great time with each other. And there, our groups are small and intimate. It's like 10 to 12 people at a time. And we'll run uh, multiple trips throughout the year as well. So if you're not able to make it for one of the um, sessions, the dates, there'll be at least, you know, five to seven more opportunities for you to come. And we particularly just work in Cape Town in the Cape Town Winelands. But we do have trips in Johannesburg, um, trips in Durban that we're also going to be running as well. So there's a, a great wine culture in both of those places, too. So Now, what is the origin of the name Obsidian? It's a gemstone that is born out of the volcanic heat and stress, and it creates this gemstone. And we wanted to identify as a black business, a black-owned uh, business, but I didn't want to use the word black but I wanted to use something that was similar to that. So obsidian is a dark stone. It's a black stone and it expresses the resilience of a people of color, how we have had to be resilient under oppression, under stress, and yet we come out like a gym. In the words of Rihanna, like a diamond. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. If we could travel just a little bit back in time, um, who were you growing up? That's a good one. My dad's in the military, so we traveled a bit around the States and traveled overseas a couple of times as well. But I spent most of my time learning about my sexuality, doing my duty as the firstborn son, I played sports. I was a quarterback in, in football, but I was very shy as well. Very, very shy. I also became a Christian when I was younger. I 
was a pastor for 16 years, but I was pretty much a happy kid. You know, I had some, some abuse in the family growing up as well. So I've had spent some time in therapy as well. So I think I've lived a full life. So now it's time to live the other full part of my life. So with traveling to over 40 countries, I know South Africa is one of them. Do you have any other countries or cities that capture your heart or that you like to travel to on a regular basis? Captured my heart, yes, Capo Verde. So Capo Verde was discovered in 1492 as an island archipelago just off of Senegal. It wasn't inhabited by anyone. And they used that island chain as a port to bring slaves from the continent, like a warehouse, as it were. So they would, the slaves would come in from the West Africa. They go to um, Capo Verde Island Change. They would process us there and then ship us off to other places. And I have um, Portuguese in my lineage. So Capo Verde was the first um, West African black nation that I visited where the skin tone was a lighter skin tone as a rule because Portuguese were the dominants there. And then they had interrelationships with the Africans um, from the continent. So the the language is Portuguese there. There's not a, a real main African language. The last time we went, we went to Carnival, which is the second Carnival next to Brazil in Mindelo, Capo Verde. It was just extraordinary. It's just extraordinary. The music, the heart, the soul of the people. There's a, a musician that is popular from the island chain. Her name is Cesara Evora. In Mindelo, the airport is named after her. So when we land into the airport and we see Cesara Evora, I was like, I can't believe this, you know, because I've been listening to her music for at least 10 years before I got to the to the island. Her house is still there like this. So that would pretty much answer that question about, about Africa for me. I definitely felt the joy, the passion, the connection that you have to the island. And uh, you've whet my appetite and my curiosity. So thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. And they have some great wine there too, from the island of Fogo. So they have a great wine. It has a terroir, the African volcanic terroir. It's a, it's a pre premium wine. It's the only wine they make in all of um, Capo Verde. And it's from the island of Fogo. Okay. Now with being, you know, are you, you having the wine retreat, that means you're not only forming relationships, I'm guessing with wineries, with sommeliers, but you're with restaurants, with chefs, other people within the uh, hospitality industry. Oh, most certainly. We spent seven months in of this year in Cape Town, in Johannesburg and Durban, and we have met tons of people. And we have vetted the people that we want to work with, the people that want to work with us, the winemakers of, of color, women, men, the sommeliers. A lot of the continent is very young when it comes to the demographics there. 
So we have some award-winning sommeliers in South Africa that we'll be working with, same as the chefs. We have some up-and-coming chefs, some established chefs, some five-star uh, restaurants, some mom-and-pop restaurants where you can get cuisine, almost like street food cuisine as well, where they'll be coming and cooking for us. So, yeah, we have just explored all of the continent in that sense, all of South Africa, I should say, explored all of South Africa when it comes to fashion, comes to music, the music venues. We've been having a great time. Our research and development <laughs> is the, it's, it's one thing I spent seven months. We could have spent the whole year just researching and developing and learning and getting to know people and finding out the experiences that we love that we want to share with other people. I saw that in the photos that you post, that you both post. And also when I met up with you not far from where I was staying most of my time in Greenpoint, and I got to see a brief view into your world of the people that you were meeting at that venue. And also for me, it reminded me and, and reinforced the importance of you can't achieve what you don't see. And for me, seeing these professionals, these Black professionals in these positions, it helped, it reminded me, like, I don't always see that, what, what you're doing, that you're bringing that more to the forefront. Yeah, it was an intentional business model, very intentional. We don't just want to provide a tour where it's like going to a zoo or going to a museum where you're just looking through a glass. It's not interactive. So we have developed friendships in all of these different aspects of hospitality. So when you're around with us going on a wine retreat, you're actually sitting down with the winemakers. You're spending time with the different hospitality professionals. When you come back on another retreat with us, you'll be able to enjoy, you know, enjoy a, a more relaxed atmosphere as you get more comfortable with the continent. And yeah, seeing you in action too, because you've shared about like that you're more of a, like a more, I guess an introvert, which I relate to, but you're also for me an example that when I'm passionate about something and when I believe in something that we're not just in the corner observing the world, world, you're an active participant in the world. It's very important, very important for me. And I think maybe that came out of my younger years as I was involved in the church life that lends to being interactive because you're with a community of people. So I've just carried that on throughout my entire um, time in different spaces. So whether different jobs I'm a part of, being able to be relational is very, very important. Even though I might be a little shy or even though I might not be able to fit in necessarily, what some people might be calling fit in, but when you have those one-on-one -on -one times, the fitting in is easy. Then, and you do that with four or five people within the crowd, then all of a sudden the crowd doesn't come so big anymore because you're now you're with all those same people, but you spend individual time with each of those people. So now when they're all grouped up together, 
And even though you might not be able to fit in the group dynamics, you still know, at least for me, I still know that I'm welcome and I still know that I have relation, interpersonal uh, relationships with all these different people within the group. Sounds like you found a way to make it your space too. Yeah, yeah, good way of saying it. Well, we are winding down to the end of our conversation, at least on this recording. I always end with asking, do you have any final thoughts or insights? I appreciate that our Black gay diaspora exists and allows for people of color to get together to express their journeys through life, their existence in life. We don't often get a, a chance to share with one another and to hear from one another in this type of environment. And so I'm so grateful for you, for other channels that are like you. There cannot be enough of them. So there are too many of us that would like to share our voice. There are too many of us who want to hear from each other. I want to just commend you for what you're doing. Keep that smile on your face. Keep sharing and um, keep doing what you're doing. It's really encouraging. Oh, thank you. Where can we engage with you online? Our social media handle for Instagram is Obsidian Wine Retreats. O-B-S-I-D-I-A-N Wine Retreats. Obsidian Wine Retreats on Instagram. That's our our one and only social media. Okay. And if anyone sees you roaming about in Cape Town, can they give you a shout out in person? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, um, roll up in my DM if you want, <laughs> as, as, they, as they say. Plus, I give you um, our WhatsApp number. It's on the Obsidian Wine Retreats too. Plus one, two, one, eight, two, three, four, two, three, one, zero. So we look forward to having you experience South Africa and having you experience for those wine lovers to experience wine. And just to make a note, if you're not a person who really is drinks wine, we also have retreats just for the cultural experience for if you're a light drinker or a no drinker, we have experiences where we focus on other aspects of culture. So sometimes it's coffee, sometimes it's um, music, dance, things like that. So the sky's the limit as to how we can shape a retreat for, for a group of people, a group of friends who want to come to South Africa, or an organization, if you have a membership organization and you want to plan a trip. It doesn't always have to be around wine. It can be just be around us being together and the experience of being on the continent for the first time. Thank you for spending time with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, comment, and subscribe. Share with your friends too. You can also follow us on Instagram at Our Black Gay Diaspora and on Twitter at BLK Gay Diaspora. Until next time. <laughs>